Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio, the first broadcast of 2023. You know, I hope you had a great New Year's. I hope you had great holidays, whether it was Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you do. And now let's forge forward. There's a lot of problems out there. You need to know about them, and we collectively need to fix them. I'm going to bring you the history of money today. Short form, but fascinating. And of course, if you've been listening to the last five shows on PSYOPs and what they have planned for your money, you know, basically take away your cash and convert it to digital, which they control based on a social credit system, based on your carbon footprint. You can buy this. You can't buy this. You're cut off. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and by the way, you only got 80 cents on the dollar for your digital. But these other guys over here, the minorities, they got 120% for their dollar. So reparations and redistribution and control all rolled into one. But that's the rest of the story, which we're going to discuss at the end of my little history lesson here. And then we're going to go into rat-a-tat-tat, and boy, there's a pile of rat-a-tat-tat. The 2002-3 year, the 2002-3 annum is starting off with a bang, uh, literally, (laughs) all around the world. But I'm going to bring you up to speed on that in the rat-a-tat-tat section. So let's get started, shall we? How about our founder's quote? Let's go to Thomas Paine, the mentor of founders. I like his quotes a lot. And I think it's particularly apropos with the new Congress sitting down, the Republicans unbelievably unable to agree on a speaker. I mean, you know, you just want to give a big old sigh, particularly after the 18 Republicans voted with Chuck Schumer on the omnibus bill, which, by the way, there's still stuff coming out on this bill. And to be honest with you, I'm not going to sit down and read all 4,000 pages, and neither did any of our elected representatives whatsoever. I think there was one congressman whose staff divvied it up, and they all read it. I'm going to bring you some of the things which are in that bill. It is going to piss you off. But that's a whole different show. That's next week. So, our founder's quote A constitution defines and limits the power of the government it creates. It therefore follows as a natural and also a logical result that the governmental exercise of any power not authorized by the constitution is an assumed power and therefore illegal. Absolutely. Positively. And you know, we need to make the illegal acts and those who commit them accountable. And I think 2023 will be the year that begins, particularly as it relates... (laughs) to government agency corruption, government agency politicization, and the massive psyops resulting in millions of injuries, ruined lives, and deaths that have resulted from both COVID and the COVID jabs. But that kind of brings us to our ranch story this year. This, I guess I could say this year, this week. So over New Year's, went down and visited some relatives. Oh, it's about a 10-hour trip on dry roads and the roads weren't bad headed down there spent a couple of delightful days with them had a lot of fun some great eats hadn't seen them in quite a while and we plan to stay through december 31st be there you know for new year's i mean that was kind of the purpose of the trip 
But I'm watching the weather, and the weather was showing this huge storm coming in, centered kind of over southern Wyoming, which is where the ranch is, and then extending down into Colorado, down over Raton Pass, which is on the border of Colorado and New Mexico. And the more I watched it, the more I had this feeling. And after years of driving in the West, the experience to know that this was not something to be screwed with. In fact, if we didn't leave early, that is before the drop of the ball on New Year's Eve, we probably wouldn't be getting back for three or four days because invariably the interstates would be closed down and driving would be horrendous. A nine or 10 hour trip would be a 20 or 25 hour trip or more with closed roads. So early on the morning on 1231, New Year's unfortunately not to be shared with family and friends, we got on the road. And you know, we got back to the ranch, oh, about nine or 10 at night. And sure enough, several hours later, it began to dump. And it dumped, and it dumped, and it dumped. About 18 inches of windswept, wind-driven snow piled everywhere. Road shut down, not plowed. And you know, what it reminds me of is kind of the way we need to approach 2023. We need to kind of revise our thinking. We need to revise our tactics. We need to let the emotions go by the wayside. You know, the wish to stay with people and have a little fun on New Year's Eve. And we need to let our experience, our practicality, and our instincts rule our logistics. In other words, we need to take smart actions. And we need to take them timely. Let's talk about the history of money. You know, money... It's valuable only as a unit of account, kind of, a a socially accepted standard, if you will, by which things are priced and with which payment is made or accepted. However, throughout history, the usage and the form of money have dramatically involved, dramatically evolved. In the beginning, we're talking about 9,000 BC, I mean, you know, many thousands of years ago, there was bartering. You give me, you give me that stone axe, and I'll give you this mastodon trunk, or whatever the barter was. That was tedious. It was cumbersome. It took a lot of time. Values had to be agreed on. All sorts of different things had to change. And the transition from bartering to currency greatly speeded. You could call it almost a technological innovation back in the day BC. It greatly speeded the ease and the amount of transactions that could be done. From about 5,000 BC to about 9,000 BC, In addition to barter economies, there were gift economies. And while bartering is the act of exchanging goods or services, not using money, you know, kind of like you give me two arrows and I'll give you a cow, many historians believe that in early small communities, the standard practice was gift economies. That meant that goods or services were not exchanged, they were not sold, but rather they were just given without expecting anything in return at any particular time. Think of it as a system of, I owe you one, or one for me today and one for you tomorrow. Then around 3000 BC came the Bronze Age, which was the commodity money age. People began to realize that certain things were more valuable to other people than other things. Believe it or not, cowrie shells, cattle, antlers, all those types of things had kind of universal value. And as did certain types of metals and stuff which were found in the ground and flints. And that was called commodity money. By the way, it was about this time that the Babylonian civilization was already implementing some kind of primitive economic systems. 
they actually had contracts, they had laws, they had rules of private property, they had rules concerning debt. Around 1100 BC, kind of capitalizing on that, that was the era of the Chinese, of course, miniature replicas. So in many parts of China around 1100 BC, if you wanted to do a sword, you would put together a miniature bronze replica of a sword or bronze replicas of goods that you wanted to buy. And then around 600 BC, in the kingdom of Lydia, which by the way is modern day Western Turkey, there was the first official currency. It was called the Lydian Lion. And a lot of historians and archeologists, by the way, think that about 640 BC, in the Henan province of China, they were also using a type of coin made of spade. So together, the Henan province of China and the Middle Eastern Empire of Lydia came up with currency. In the case of Lydia, the king minted what is believed to be the very first official currency, in other words, a state currency, and it was made from electrum, which is a mixture of silver and gold, which, by the way, occurs naturally. And the coins were stamped with pictures that acted as the, the denominations, the value of the coin. So in the streets of Sardi, in approximately 600 BC, a clay jar might cost you two owls and a snake. <laughs> you gotta love it. By the way, Lydia's advent into currency, it's kind of the leader in that realm, made it one of the rip, richest empires in Asia Minor for many years. Do you know the saying, as rich as Croesus? Well, that's the last Lydian king who minted the first gold coin. And then we come to the transition to paper currency. That was by the Yuan Dynasty of China. They moved from coins to paper money. And Marco Polo, you know, the Venetian merchant, the explorer, the writer who traveled through Asia along the Silk Road between 1271 and 1295, he visited China in approximately 1271. And one of the things he noted, besides the fact that the emperor of China had a really good handle on both the money supply and its various denominations, was in fact on the Chinese bills of those days, where the modern American dollar says, in God we trust, the Chinese inscription at that time warned, quote, those who are counterfeiting will be beheaded, unquote. <laughs> Terrific. Parts of Europe actually still used metal coins as their sole form of currency until the 16th century, right, the 1500s. And part of this was fueled by colonial acquisitions by various countries. Think of Spain in South America and Mexico mining silver and gold. It was also about this time that banks started using paper banknotes for depositors and borrowers instead of metal coins. The notes could be taken to the bank at any time in exchange for their face value in metal, usually silver or gold, and this money could be used to buy goods and services. However, unlike today, which is kind of similar, at that time it was issued by banks and private institutions, not the government. Obviously, it's just the opposite in current times. What's really interesting is the first paper currency that was issued by European governments was actually issued by their colonial governments in North America, Canada, and the American colonies. And that was because shipments between Europe and the North American colonies took a long time, obviously, you know, months to get across the ocean. So the colonies often ran out of quote-unquote cash. Instead of going back to a barter system, colonial governments issued IOUs, and they traded as currency. This shift to paper money, particularly in Europe, after it was fueled by the colonies, greatly increased the amount of international trade that it could occur, right? The banks, ruling classes, they started buying currencies from other nations. That's when the first currency markets began. And even at that time, 
the stability of a particular monarchy or government or country affected the value of the country's currency and therefore the country's ability to trade on an increasingly international market. This is also about the time of the first currency wars where enemies would try to devalue their foes' money so that their enemy couldn't buy arms and weapons, or alternatively, to try and change the value of their competitor's currency by driving the value up and making the enemy's goods too expensive. And then the 21st century, it's given rise to two novel forms of currency, mobile payments and virtual currency. So mobile payments, I mean, we're all familiar with it, or most of us, Mobile payments are money rendered for a product or service through a portable electronic device like your cell phone, your tablet. Mobile payment technology can also be used to send money to friends, family, wherever, around the world. Apple Pay, Google Pay, Venmo. Think about all those various apps that you can use to virtually instantaneously move quote-unquote money from one place to another. And also in the 21st century, we saw the first virtual currency in the form of Bitcoin, the pseudonym of the guy who invented it, nobody really knows his real name, was Satoshi Nakamoto. And Bitcoin became and still is kind of the standard for all virtual currencies, blockchain currencies are called. Now, obviously, the value of Bitcoin has fluctuated widely. I think it was up to around $66,000 for one Bitcoin a year or so ago. And now it's down to about 16000 And who knows what it'll do in the future. The appeal of this virtual currency is that it offers the promise, at least, of lower transaction fees than kind of traditional online payment mechanisms. And it's operated by decentralized authorities. In other words, no governments. No government-issued currency. And when we get to the rest of the story, I'll tie that in for you because it's important. Let's drop back to 1792. That's when the U.S. dollar was quote-unquote invented. The term dollar, by the way, had already existed before the U.S. adopted it. It was very common during the colonial period when referring to the Spanish real coin. You know, those coins I was telling you about that were minted from the plundered wealth of South America. In 1775, the Continental Congress of the United States authorized the issuance of continental currency. But it wasn't until the Coinage Act of April 2nd, 1792, that an official monetary system was defined and the U.S. dollar came to life as the official currency of the United States of America. From then until probably a day we will eventually call the end of the dollar, the dollar was backed by gold or silver. You had gold certificates, you had silver certificates, which you could redeem for the actual metals. But the gold standard you know, gold-backed United States dollars, came under attack beginning March 3rd, 1933. I brought you in my historical stories the story of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You should go to the website on the right side, radio.com, type that in, listen to my history of that man who did much to help the United States, but did much to undermine it. In fact, some of his policies we are suffering from today. And on March 3rd, 1933, FDR closed all the banks in the USA. It was March 3rd, 1933. He was responding to a run at the gold reserves. In other words, everybody was bringing in their paper dollars and saying, give me gold. And banks held lots of gold at that time. And that was the backing for all the available U.S. dollars. And there was a fixed exchange rate between U.S. dollars and gold. I've brought you part of this story in previous shows. When he closed down the banks, he also banned the ability to redeem dollars for gold, and he prohibited exporting any gold 
outside the boundaries of the country. And he ordered all Americans to turn in their gold in exchange for U.S. dollars. This began, by the way, the central gold storage of the United States, which we know as Fort Knox. This gold standard ended officially when Richard Nixon, August 15, 1971, the day the dollar died, announced that the U.S. would no longer convert dollars to gold at a fixed value. And that is when our money, folks, became fiat money. In fact, worthless paper, except for our belief and faith in it. Around 1946, a guy by the name of John Biggins of the Flatbush National Bank of Brooklyn in New York created the first credit card. <laughs> you know, the nice and the bane of our existence, or many of our existences. And he called it the Charge It program. Merchants could send sales slips into the bank after a customer used the credit card with them. And the bank would then go and bill the customer back. In the meantime, the vendor would be paid by the bank. In 1950, Frank McNamara, remember him? Secretary of Defense way back then? He founded the Diners Club card. I don't think I've seen one in 10 or 15 years, but it was very popular at the time. His idea was to create a card that allowed you to dine in restaurants, and the Diners Club would pay your bill, and then you would pay the Diners Club later. And he originally intended the card for a very small, exclusive group of not more than 200 people. But the idea caught fire. And in less than a year, the very first year of the card, there were 20,000 cardholders. And you could use them about anywhere. Then PayPal and digital money. That happened around 1990. This is a really interesting little tidbit for you. There were two companies. One was known as Confinity.com and the other was known as X, just the letter X.com. And both were delving kind of into online banking and instantaneous transfer of money from one person to another for a fee. Those companies merged and they gave birth to PayPal which is now an online payments giant and also woke and uh, willing to take $2,500 out of your account if you do something that they consider unwoke. I've brought you that story. But here's the fun fact. Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, the owner of Twitter, was the owner of X.com. Hmm. Imagine that. You got to admit, this guy is always at the forefront of everything. And that brings us to the rest of the story. The rest of the story, folks, is that with this evolution of money, with the devaluation of the dollar because it's been taken off the gold standard, with the reluctance of the United States government since 1971 to replace that gold standard with anything of value to back the fiat denominations on these pieces of paper that we use for exchange, leads me to believe that eventually the elites want the dollar to fail that they want paper currency to go away, that they want cash in the banks, as you and I know it, to be replaced, and the paper currency to be replaced with a digital coin, which Bitcoin pioneered. But this will not be autonomous. This digital coin will be minted, quote unquote, through the electronic means that digital currencies are minted, and it will be totally controlled by the government. Which brings us to the government's ability to redistribute wealth, do reparations, buy votes with your money, punish those enemies of the state who are non-believers in the government's psyops, and reward those who toe the line and are compliant. I'm going to bring you more on this over the coming year, but you keep your eyes peeled for stories that talk about digital currency and test projects and pilot projects using digital currency 
in the United States and the Western world. I absolutely guarantee you will be seeing those stories this year, sooner rather than later. And they're a big red flag. We'll talk about it as this evolves. All right, folks, rat-a-tat-tat for the first week of 2023. You know, last week I brought you the story about the woke, the wokesters <laughs> at Stanford University. I left a few things out. They decided, I told you last week, that American was a no-no word and that brave was a no-no word. But I didn't tell you that grandfather is also a no-no word in Stanford Wokeland. And by the way, you should call your grandfather Legacy. That's the new name for grandfather, Legacy. I'm not making this up. And the reason that you shouldn't use grandfather is because it really brings to mind, although I never knew this, the Southern restriction of voting rights through grandfathered clauses to black people. Uh Uh-huh. You bet. By the way, Stanford also says you should no longer use the phrase long time no see. You know why? Because, <laughs> wow, it's an affront to Native Americans, folks. Yes, sir. I know quite a few full-blood Indians. One day I'll tell you a little bit about how I know all these folks. But I've never heard any of them come up, raise their hand, and say long time no see. But what do I know? I'm a hayseed in Wyoming. And back to Stanford. I think we ought to help Stanford out. We ought to make some more suggestions to their woke <laughs> their woke list of terms that should no longer be used or replacement terms. How about this? Instead of the term smash and grab robbery, let's use the word reparations. And we should no longer accuse our government people of being racist or making disparaging remarks about blacks or Jews or whites or Mexicans. We should call it Russian disinformation. By the way, there's no such thing as a store thief anymore. That's merely an undocumented shopper. And I think we should not be able to use the words black American conservative anymore. We need to use the words of the left, Uncle Tom. And serial killers? No, can't use that anymore. Let's just call them rogue morticians. You know, I got on all you folks who are sending your kids to these highfalutin, absolutely worthless colleges and spending exorbitant amounts of money. I looked up the cost to go to Stanford because I got a few emails on this. You know, where did you get the costs? Student expenses for 2022-2023, $57,693 a year. Room and board, another $18,619. Student fees, $2,145. Books and supplies allowance, $1,350. That comes to a total of $79,807 times four is roughly $320,000, folks, so your kids can go to school and be woke. Oh, not woke Americans. We can't use that anymore. I'm not going any further with this. You got the point. By the way, those of you who use social media, whether it's Twitter or it's Facebook or whatever, I assume that you have seen all these conversations between various people, kind of long dormant accounts that suddenly pop up and seemingly... They're exchanging viewpoints from across the American political spectrum. Some have, like, American flags on them. Others have images of beautiful women. Almost all are anonymous, of course, though some impersonate real people. Did you ever notice how many divergent viewpoints there are? Some defend a woman's right to have an abortion, others' right to life. Some defend the Second Amendment. Others vehemently champion Black Lives Matter. Some claim the U.S. is descending into leftist tyranny. Others say it's headed to right-wing fascism, which, by the way, is a, it's an oxymoron. Fascism is an element of the left. But put that aside. You will notice a theme. It's subtle, right? It goes back to the psyops. 
All of these, in one way or the other, disparage the United States political parties and governmental institutions. You would think that all these accounts and all the stuff that's being said is a representation of political polarization in the United States. You folks will be wrong. They are actually part of a wide-reaching series of interconnected influence operations conducted for and by the benefit of China, the CCP. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The CCP goes to great lengths, increasingly so, one of the reasons TikTok is being banned, to manipulate what Americans see and believe. And their goal, of course their goal is to rule the world, but their goal is to bring down America in part by sowing discord and rancor on social media. It is in every way, shape, and form a psyops operation, psychological warfare, using and exploiting the weaknesses of open societies to turn people against one another and to divide the enemy. Think about that as you read those posts in the future. California. California never disappoints. We always have rat-a-tat-tat from California. <laughs> Eyebrow-raising rat-a-tat-tat. So, on New Year's Day, right a few days ago, in the Golden State, there was a bunch of new laws that became effective. I'm just going to give you two of these crazy friggin' laws. First of all, California is now... The sanctuary state for transgender kids. Oh, that's terrific. And this law protects the use of drugs or surgery to provide so-called gender-affirming care. Oh, great. To children from other states where the use of such treatments is criminal or restricted. And by the way, it prohibits doctors from releasing information to other states. And it prohibits, I think this is illegal, California courts interfering in child custody over such treatments. The other one. Oh, COVID misinformation. I mean, now why would they be doing this as all the science is coming out on the jabs and COVID, etc.? This law, effective January 1, requires California's medical license requires California's medical licensing boards to take disciplinary action against doctors who are involved with the quote dissemination of misinformation or disinformation related to the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus or COVID-19 unquote. And who is the arbiter of that? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Another bit of interesting rat-a-tat-tat. The Heritage Foundation, great outfit, by the way. You should support them. They have an oversight project, which is now, basically, it's been tracking how non-governmental organizations, you know, Soros and that whole crew, NGOs, have facilitated illegal immigrants to travel to the destination of their choice once they're across the Rio Grande and into the United States. The Heritage Foundation selected 30,000 mobile devices that had been given to illegal aliens and tracked the pings of those devices. And this was just over one month. Just think about this. One month, I'm telling you about. January of 2022. In addition to 30,000 phones, it was from over 40 NGO sites. The Valverde Border Humanitarian Center and the Del Rio Customs and Border Protection Station, and et cetera, et cetera. And guess where the huge preponderance of these illegal aliens went? Dallas-Fort Worth, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Orlando. Pretty interesting. There's also a huge influx, purposely directed, into red states and red communities. I'm going to tell you more about that over the next three or four shows because it's really quite alarming. So we have tens of thousands of illegal immigrants down the southern border, hundreds of thousands. You're familiar with the story. What you don't know is that they're being given preference in homeless shelters over Americans. Oh, yeah. Just take a look at the story from El Paso, Texas, right? Shelters are full. They're putting migrants up in the airport, not Americans, migrants up in the airport. 
and they're asking that the military house them on bases, not Americans, migrants. And by the way, you think we're the only ones having uh, problems with illegal immigration? No, the woke crowd across the planet is doing the same things to other countries that President Cadaver and his crew are doing to the United States. It's that globalization thing, you know what I'm saying? Political power. Let's take Britain, always a bellwether for the United States. The country is now spending $8.5 million, 7 million pounds a day, a day, on housing illegal immigrants in luxury, not normal, but luxury, five-star hotels. On December 15th, right, this is like three weeks ago, Britain's home office, they're responsible for immigration, kind of like DHS is supposedly in the United States, announced that 419 five-star hotels around Britain are now being used to house illegal immigrants while the government, quote, processes their asylum claims. Oh, obviously the British people are a little pissed off over this. Number one, British homeless people have been ignored, even though it's a very bitterly cold winter over there, while money is spent housing foreigners in five-star hotels. And thousands of British nationals, staff of these hotels, have been fired because their hotels are taken over by the government who then hires contractors to run them. And there has been a sharp, very sharp uptick in sexual assaults in the areas around any and all of these hotels. By the way, British immigration has grown from 50,000 a year just 10 years ago to 500,000 a year now. Gee, does this sound familiar? In some bitter irony, you know, all things come full circle. Google's being hit with a bunch of lawsuits and having to pay out hundreds of millions of dollars. I told you last week about the $725 million that Zuck baby at Facebook has to pay out, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But it's along the same lines, right? This is screwing with free speech. This is giving away people's information without their knowledge that has been collected, and certainly without their permission to disseminate it. And Google is also kind of clamping down on any dissent within the Google ranks. So Google's employees right now are kind of gripped by the fear of losing their jobs. And they suspect upcoming mass layoffs, in part because of the money Google's had to pay out on these lawsuits and more to come. And Google has implemented a new employee evaluation system, unquote. You know, it's kind of like a social credit score. Be careful what you ask for, lefties. And why don't we just say that it's geared towards encouraging obedience and stifling dissent. And you know, it's kind of the Google employee's digital identity. Remember all those things I told you about there at the conclusion of the PSYOPs shows? And Google employees, you know, the lefties, they're now up in arms that all these lefty ideas that they have applauded and extolled and fostered are now being applied to them. Oh, well, my, my, my. And what did they think was going to happen? And there's loads, thousands of emails flooding into Google from Google employees that uh, managers inside the company are getting aggressive and then employees are becoming aggressively pressured. And any employee which gets a negative review is going to be axed. Huh, imagine that. They ought to bring Elon Musk over there. He'd take care of that uh, personnel problem they have. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, this is a week ago Friday, they ruled that a Florida school district can, with the blessing of the Constitution, legally separate the boys' bathroom from the girls' bathroom based on the biological sex of the students. Wow, what a novel concept. I, I wonder if they have that at Stanford. The decision was 7-4 to four and was in favor of the St. John's County School Board. Quote, the school board did not discriminate against transgender students based on sex or violate federal civil rights 
law by requiring transgender students to use gender-neutral bathrooms or bathrooms matching their biological sex. This was precipitated, by the way, by a lawsuit that a person by the name of Drew Adams, oh yes, they changed their name, a biological female who identifies as a boy, brought in 2017 after the school denied her access to the boys' bathroom. So there is some sanity still left in the court. I was telling you about how important these judges are, and I was warning you that Biden was getting a lot of judges appointed. This 7-4 to four decision, all seven were conservative judges appointed by a Republican president. I think six of the seven by Trump. The other four were liberal justices, all appointed by a Democratic president, in this case, all by Obama. Need I say more? In Arizona, there was a recount for the state attorney general position. Abe Hamadah, the Republican candidate, was losing by 550 votes before the recount. At the end of the recount, he lost only by 280 votes out of 2.5 million ballots cast. Remember, I'm using the word ballots, not votes. We've been over that. Kerry is going to appeal the decision by the Arizona judge, right, the governor's candidate. She's a pistol. Support her. On the right side radio, take action page, 30x match to help her with her litigation. This is important, folks. Throw some money into the till there. 30x match. You want free and fair elections? Get off the couch. Stand up. Do you remember last week I told you about (laughs) this woke nonsense going on in the Marine Corps and how it was based on a 700-some-odd page study, millions of dollars of taxpayer money that had been done by the University of Pittsburgh and mentioned that we really need to get academia out of military stuff, any kind of contracts for academia to do any kind of studies for the military. Think about Stanford. Think about that story I brought you last week. Well, Congress, in the annual National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, which sets the DOD's budget, you know, the Department of Defense's budget for the next year, now is known to include funding for defense-related research in universities. But this year, virtually all that funding is to push the diversity agenda in the armed forces. In 2020, the amount was $50 million. In 2021, $46 million. And in 2022, unbelievable, it expanded dramatically to $195 million for universities, left-leaning universities, to come up with woke programs for the United States military. It's unbelievable. And by the way, the bill even says that these monies will be used in line with social justice values, unquote. Once again, China and Russia are just shaken in their fatigues and battle uniforms. And if you think that this woke thing is only affecting Stanford and only affecting the military through academic institutions that have no business being involved or even in the same room, the same planet with the military, Los Alamos National Laboratories, right? This is a really well-known federal facility. It's officially focused on the study of nuclear energy. And that's where the first atomic bomb was developed. But Los Alamos, believe it or not, in 2021, funded a study about the threat of disinformation related to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm not making this up. And according to its authors, the study was to promote, I quote, quote, adherence to public health messaging, unquote, by analyzing four supposed, quote, conspiracy theories, unquote, around the pandemic on social media. By the way, one of the four was the theory that the virus originated in a lab rather than via natural transmission between animals. Well, we all know where that theory has gone, right? The dump heap of Fauci science. 
And the military, right? They're doing all this woke stuff. They, they can't understand why their recruiting is down 25%, you know, historically low levels. So what are they doing? Let me tell you what they're doing. Military leaders are lowering the bar of physical and mental standards required to join the services. Terrific. A guy by the name of Thomas Spohr, director of the Heritage Foundation, there they are again, for National Defense, Center for National Defense, quote, these changes have been part of a trend of lowered standards, mental, physical, and medical, which have taken place over the last two years. Gee, what happened to, oh, that's right, that's when Cadaver took office. So once again, Here's the military. Oh, General Milley, you're doing such a good job. And Secretary of Dents, Austin, you're just terrific, man. Here's the military. Instead of going to the root cause of the problem and fixing it, instead they're lowering the standards to try and increase recruitment. I don't need to tell you what that does to military readiness, do I? Let me give you one example. In the Navy, the new guidelines will allow 7,500 recruits per year, or 20% of all new active duty enlisted people to be drawn from the lowest acceptable aptitude level. And in June, the DOD shortened the minimum amount of time for individuals with a history of conditions, you know, like asthma and behavioral health problems, like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. You were supposed to be symptom-free to enlist without a waiver for six months. But now the DOD has allowed 700 recruits that were previously diagnosed with ADHD to join without a waiver. Let's hope that none of them wind up in a missile silo, shall we? In terms of recruiting problems, despite the rulings of the Supreme Court, the Appeals Court, and the NDAA, which prohibits mandating vaccines in the armed services, the DOD is now taking the position, right before New Year's, that the vaccine mandate still applies and is still in effect for all reserve troops and all National Guard. I want you to think about that for a minute. I think you'll agree with me that the security of the United States and the safety of its citizens and the protection of freedom in the Constitution is not foremost in their minds. Then we have a defector from the BlackRock Vanguard globalist clan. This is a former BlackRock fund manager, Edward Dowd, and he details, I mean, he just nails them to the wall, a whole bunch of data showing that the COVID shots are a crime against humanity. As you may know, BlackRock and Vanguard, being woke companies subscribing to ESG, are all about the vaccine. They're all about world health control. They're all about vaccine passports and mandates and etc. Some of the points he brings out in this book, which, by the way, is called Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. I suggest you read it if you have a chance. But some of the points he brings out, insurance industry research in 2016, they conclude that group life policyholders, this is a young people in group policies, life policies, die at one-third the rate of the general U.S. population. Well, that's no longer the case. They now have a 40% higher death rate than the U.S. population. He also goes into American disability statistics. So in the five years before COVID, the monthly disability rate was between 29 and 30 million. After the jabs began to be administered, the disability trend changed dramatically. As of September 2022, several months ago, 33.2 million disabled Americans, or an increase of about 4 million disabled people. A three-time, a 3x standard deviation rate since May of 2021, which, by the way, is, oh yeah, when the jab started.
1996, and at that time, average life expectancy was 76.1 years. By the way, men, you are, should we say, dropping like flies more than women. Your life expectancy has dropped 0.7 years. Women have seen their life expectancy drop only 0.6 years. And then another little military story. The military asked for two additional child care centers. You know, I mean, we're woke. we got to take care of everything here. Well, Congress approved it. Not only that, they added 14 more child care centers than the military asked for. <sighs> I'm sure China is shaking in its boots, and I'm sure the Russians are too. And then in a very odd thing, you know, psyops, anyone? There's been a series of, of mishaps, right, in military stuff from all nations. The U.K. had a nuclear submarine catch on fire. We had a B-2 catch on fire after landing. The Russians have had problems. Who knows if it's cyber attacks? Who knows what it is? But what's significant is that the United States, right in the middle of this mess with Ukraine and Russia gearing up and flexing its nuclear muscles, the United States has announced, and which is odd in and of itself, that all 20 of its stealth bombers in the B-1 fleet which is kind of a key component along with the B-52 of the nuclear, America's nuclear triad, they've all been grounded. They're not flying. Hmm. Does anybody see anything odd about this or odd about its announcement? You know, which probably should be top secret. We'll have to think about that. In not-so-good news, while the DOD plays with wokeism and cadaver wrings its hands over all sorts of manners of things like Ukraine, there's a new report out. It appears, and this is from Newsweek, and the Israeli newspaper Mariv indicates that Al-Qaeda, you know, our buddies, might have enough enriched uranium to now make a nuclear bomb. In fact, the bomb-making material was on its way from Iran. Oh, the Iran deal, anyone? And it was going to be delivered by Iran to Houthi rebels in Yemen, and Al-Qaeda intercepted it. Now, if this is true, it's not really good, folks, particularly with a porous southern border. But I'll be following it for you. Well, as usual, we are out of time. Think about what they have planned for your use of money, your ability to exchange for something that you need or want. Think about the assault on your freedom through digital ID and social credit scoring. Think about the psyops that's being perpetrated, the psychological warfare being waged by a government against its own people. And look in the mirror and repeat with conviction, I will muster, I will stand, I will not comply, I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Welcome to 2023. Keep the wind at your back. We'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side.